every business has four fundamental pillars that either contribute or detract from profitability. It is a great big circle called strategic planning, and that's the area in which every business operates. So strategic planning drives many behaviors in a business, and then the rest of the pillars reside within this circle called strategic planning. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Now, this week, when we think about our episode, this individual, Rob Brayman, who has been on many podcasts, says, Ken, you actually asked me questions and drew out of me on my family, which I've never talked about on any other show before. What was interesting is Rob really shares this story or journey of his family where 14 individuals of his heritage of his family were lost in the intern camps in World War II, then his family fled. The ones that did survive, his family fled to South America and then eventually into the U.S. And just an interesting story about that. And of course, he had a traumatic event happen when he was 15 years of age. You'll have to listen to the episode to find that out. But now Rob's work is around helping organizations, privately held businesses, optimize their success in life. And he uses a four-pillar approach. So I, hopefully, and uh, my encouragement is, is that you will enjoy the show, just not only his story, which he said he hasn't shared before, as well as you know four critical pillars that he talks about that it needed to be successful in organizations. Now, that being said, we did talk about uh, character traits and values and the importance of clarity. So my encouragement, if you're listening to this, if you haven't already taken our online values course or online values assessment, that that is one step that's easy, uh, simple to do, to be able to clarify those things which are most important in your life. In you know, the research is clear, values clarification assists in several different areas. It helps you to be more persistent, reduces your stress level, it actually helps you to receive even negative feedback as part of that uh, process as well. So all of those are important. So that's one area. Number two, and I think we're gonna be doing this on most shows now, is just our three-day certification has turned into this transformational event for leaders and professional developers. And so if you're looking at getting around tools and resources that will help transform your employees or your clients, but you first, then consider attending the Professional Mastery and Assessments Certification Workshop, which we hold three times a year. And whenever you're listening to this, just go to our site, crgleader.com, and check that out. And you can both find out either about the online course with the values or certification. So thank you for listening. Please, uh, if you're listening and you haven't already done so, please uh, pass it on, share it leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're on. The platforms really do appreciate engagement. And I know many of you, I've, I've heard from you, you said you've been listening, but we didn't, you know, haven't left a comment. Uh, that really does help as far as the ranking is being found by others. So, so thanks again for being a Secrets of Success listener and subscriber. And so here's our episode with Rob Brayman. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, success in life is around, in our opinion, around developing holistically, not just personally, but also from a business point of view. And so today's expert and guest, Rob Brayman. Now, Rob, how do we say your last name correctly? It's Brayman, Ken. Brayman. Thank you. Just as almost like I almost like I said it. So, so, Absolutely. so Rob, thanks for joining us and being on the show. We're going to get to know you as we go forward, but uh, appreciate you taking the time and hanging out with us. Oh, truly my pleasure, and thanks for having me on the show, Ken. Now, uh, we'll talk about it in the very end, but you also have a company, and so what's the company name that you are a part of? Cogent Analytics. We're a small business advisory firm really focusing on operational management to small and mid-market companies. Excellent, excellent. So and then we'll get cogent into, analytics. We'll get into these four interconnected pillars that you talk about in your work here in a bit. But uh, as you know, Secrets of Success, we like to get to know our guests and their journey. 
So, you know, long before Rob was uh, being this consultant and business analyst, what, what are uh, sort of your background and where did you grow up and some of the things that you were doing as in high school and those things? So we go all the way back. Um, I, my, the baby of four kids, my father uh, immigrated to the United States when he was 16 years old to go to college, met my mom very young. What but country did I you am, come from, Rob? Uh, he immigrated from Colombia. He was born in Lima, Peru, immigrated from Colombia, uh, South America. But the mm. family was European. So on my father's side, I have, of the 23 brothers and sisters to my grandmother and grandfather, wow. uh, there were only nine surviving the Holocaust. Wow. Um, the 14 of them were... Um, put to death during World War II. So half the family immigrated to the United States. The other half of the family ended up in South America. I was the baby of, of one, you know, the son of a son. Mm. So uh, when he came to the United States, got to MIT when he was 17, well, really 16 and a half, he was accepted to MIT. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, was a truly upper New England um, North Shore of Massachusetts, what I always call upper crust American. Uh, my grandfather on that, on her father was Harvard graduate. Her uncles were Harvard graduates. So you can imagine I, I grew up in a very uh, eclectic household. Mm. So um, an immigrant family, um, really quite a story, I'm sure, behind that whole dynamic where, you know, over half the family is lost to that, that horrific tragedy. How does, you know, if I may ask, because I haven't had anybody on the show that really had such a, a background piece there, how do you think that has affected your family and how you think and how you act and how you live? Well, I would tell you, I be, because the family, you know, mother and dad, my mom and father came from two really opposing worlds, um, you know, we were exposed to a lot as kids, my brothers, my brother and my sisters. Mm -hmm. So I was the baby of four, as I was saying. And, and you know, I think it made us a lot wiser. Um, uh, the other half of that story is we moved around as children. You know, I'm the baby of four, and I was born in Indiana, moved to Kentucky, Wisconsin, Texas, Brazil, South America, and then New Jersey was junior high and high school. So, you know, corporate brat, not military brat. Um, and I would tell you that I, I've had so many influences, both family influences as well as cultural influences, both living overseas and moving around so much as a kid. You know, you learn, you learn very quickly how to assimilate. I think that's probably the best way to put it. So there's some family history contributions, and then there is moving around. And then my father passed away, obviously, when I was 15 years old. So there's a whole other dynamic that goes into that, that part of my formative years. Mm. So when you think about that, what were some of those things that, you, that would benefit the audience, that you learned with all this moving, not just assimilating, but you know, kind of integrating with different cultures? But what else could you share with the audience where you have this sort of constant momentum or movement in what do you think that did to you as far as some things that it might have developed that you could share with the audience? Yeah, I, I think I learned how to become a chameleon. You know, if I, if I listen very carefully to my kids, you know, they're, they're always shocked and awed by the fact that if I'm talking to a really good friend of mine from Texas, within about 10 minutes, I sound like I'm from Texas. And it's not, something I do consciously, it, it is absolutely happens in my psyche subconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm talking to somebody from, you know, the Boston area within 10 minutes, I've, I'm throwing out vernacular lingo that, that comes from that area of the world. So realistically speaking, I would say because of all these influences and always being the new kid growing up, I had to learn how to assimilate both consciously and subconsciously now, once I made it through military time, I've been a serial entrepreneur, 
Um, I would tell you that my upbringing, my background probably made me uh, very much self-sufficient and made me choose, you know, I always say I went from, you know, who's who to problem child in about two and a half seconds as my father passed away in my sophomore year of high school. Um, Football and, you know, great SAT scores got me into college. And I went to a semester at college at the time and then joined the military. And I ended up having the privilege of serving with 1st Battalion 5th Special Forces Group during my during my tenure in the military. So uh, I'd say I would had a lot of building blocks that led me into um, leadership roles throughout my career and then has led me to, you know, building, you know, this is my fourth company that I've built. And um, I've had the privilege of serving others, really, for most of the last 20 years of my life, 18 years, uh, really working with uh, family-owned, architected, you know, whether it's first generation or second, third, fourth, fifth generation, privately held companies, you know, you end up with a lot of human dynamic that happens in, in entrepreneurship that mm. most people lose sight of. It's as much the psychology and sociology inside of a, a, a privately held company as it is the conduction of business itself. Oh, so isn't that very true? long I, answer I to a up, short I grew up on the dairy farm. It's now in the heading towards its fourth generation. And I was there for two years. That's how long I could last, Rob. So. You, were, you were on a different path. Uh, for sure, for sure. So, well, that's great. Now, I just want to digress for a minute, and then we'll come into all the work that you're doing now and helping others. Is the the impact as a 15 year old? My dad's dad died when my dad was 16, and he actually took over the dairy farm. So, what what could you describe to the listeners about the impact that that event had on you as a 15 year old? Oh, I was, um, aside from all of the normal things that I think I've uh, come to realize, you know, you're, as a 15-year-old young man, you know, you have this profound loss that not just your family goes through, but especially at those formative years age, mm-hmm. uh, you, you had, any child has aspirations of being able to share time with their, with their father or their mother. And when that time goes away, you know, you're, you're sent off kilter. But I, I mean, I, for me, I was mad at God for a while in my life. I was, you know, of course, probably angry that, um, you know, my father was taken away from me. There was been moments where even with the birth of my own children that, you know, I lament, frequently that my dad was not there to see these amazing moments that my kids have gone through. So, but, you know, in my formative years, I would say that it was a profound loss and it took me a little while to figure out because my guiding light, it called my father, um, passed, you know, you're left with having to figure much out. And I I would say it, it probably turned me in many respects into being very self-sufficient. Um, there was a lot of positives out of that massive negative would be what I was trying to communicate to the listeners. And I think that mm-hmm. over the years of representing other business owners, of representing other leaders, that you, you always have a story that um, contributes to their leadership psyche as opposed to just management. And I think there's a definitive difference between management and leadership but I'm, I'm sure you'll probe those questions a little bit deeper in the show. Mm-hmm. So, and thank you, Rob, for that and, and really sharing authentically. With that, do you think that might have led to your interest in the military and just as looking at another uh, peer identification group or what was sort of the main reason to, to go into that field? Definitely a contributing factor. My brother, who is 10 years older than I am, um, went into the military, and I think I saw that as a, you know, if I wasn't prepared to dedicate myself to college, to take on the college debt at the time, it was not, it was not the pathway I saw for myself at that moment in life. Um, I think I, I said to my best friend who joined the military with me, uh, I, I, I said to Tom, you, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. And he asked me, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've got to do something productive. 
and I don't, I don't see the jobs that were available to me as productive. I'm going to go join the military, as I think what I said, and he said, I'll come. So my, pa- my brother probably had a, a little bit to do with that. Not that he ever told me, hey, you should go join the military, but I saw that he had had some successes early in his life by virtue of joining the United States Armed Services, and I thought it was an open gateway for me. Now, I will tell you what I originally said yes to and then, you know, completely foundationally changing my approach to structured leadership, uh, commitment of self to something greater than self. All of those things came out of the military experience that at the end of the day is always, I will always point to that point on the map as what turned me into foundationally, mind you, but turned me into the man I am today. Mm. Well, it's And now my son is going in the military, so. A small world, right, <laughs> as we influence each other. Interesting enough, um, one of my uh, co-authors, Dr. Mitch Davidi, lives close by you, and our work is now being used in uh, law enforcement across the country and special operations and special ops as well. So uh, there is a... a familiarity to some of the things that you're talking about there. So you get out of the military. First of all, why did you leave or was there a reason why you were leaving uh, at that time? What was predicated that? Yeah, I got, I got married very young. I think there was a lot of contributing factors looking for some foundation in a very youthful marriage. Um, And, you know, obviously her inclination for me not being, out or away um, was def- was definitely a contributing factor at that time. Now, again, I was a very young man. I, I cherished the, the relationship that I had, but I knew it wasn't the right marriage. So I, I've been married to my current wife for 25 years, and she just said yes. I asked her to marry me again, so we're about to get married again on our 21st, 25th anniversary um, at the same place we honeymoon. Yeah, she said yes again. Go figure. Right? I, I told her there was something, something that you know. Obviously, she needs to get checked out because the first year, twenty five, were crazy enough, right? Well, there you go. A special ops guy with a romantic side. I don't know. This is a contradiction, isn't it? Oh, I'm, I'm over the moon in love with my best friend. So that's, you know, I don't care. I'll say that to God and everybody and your listeners. Um, when you, when you meet that person, that's right for you. That's a life partner. I figure the last twenty five have been so easy. Why not do it for another fifty? Sure. Hey, we're in, and I get it. I think we're 26 or 27. I can't remember. Hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this one and say, hey, it's 28. So with that, <laughs> yep. with that, you, you leave the military. You're now progressing. How did you get in this field of helping other businesses? Where did that begin? Yeah, when I first got out, I, I ended up with a job, and after – you know, climbing their ranks very, very quickly. I think I was their youngest regional at the time for the company I was working for. My vice president was made an offer to go open his own thing. And he offered me, you know, a small piece of equity. I think I was 26 years old or so. And he, I got 3% with the promise of, of more equity. Um, that lasted for about three years or so when he, um, he and I separated. He bought me out of my equity. I ended up having, finding a partner of my own. And then from that point forward, he, my, my new partner and I had a much more equitable relationship. Um, it was him and his father and saw what I was doing. He's like, well, you know, if you'll come do it with us, we'll fund you. So I did that. He and I built three different companies together. And then... So before we you go on that, what were those, what were those three oh, companies? What were you, what kind really, of Really, yeah, really odd. I ended up, um, I, I had another special operations NCO that was the regional vice president of the company that's called Cash America Pawn, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, but they're the only publicly traded pawn shop in the world. So when I first got out of the military, I'm a really young guy, and had an interview with this gentleman, and he said, oh, yeah, by the way, you're hired after about a two-and-a-half-hour interview. Uh, it was it was like talking to a longtime family friend or a brother. You know, we watched, we watched some of the same ground. So um, 
I ended up owning three different companies, two of which were predominantly my partners. He and father had started, but it was um, liquor stores, two bars, uh, five pawn shops, and 17 wireless stores. So the wireless was really my brainchild, and that goes back to the very early 90s when we started that. Well, that's a lot of diversity and different. What was sort of driving such an eclectic business selection? Opportunity. First, yeah, first to begin with, it was a job, right? And I climbed an organizational structure very, very quickly. Like I said, I was the youngest regional. So I never chose the path. Sometimes I argue it chose me out of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And uh, just made, I, I made hay, right? So once I climbed an opportunity and then was recruited away for equity, I opened that gentleman's first nine stores and then found a partner of my own, and I opened those five, but they happened to have owned two liquor stores and a bar, which is how they funded this opportunity for me. Now, keep in mind, I'm still in my early, late 20s at that time, that you know we did five pawn shops of our own accord, and then we opened, let me see if I can do the math correctly, we opened uh, 10 more or nine more liquor stores and two more bars under my partner's auspices, and then the five pawn shops and 17 wireless stores were directly under my control. And that, again, was opportunity. You know, the wireless industry was just coming unto its mm -hmm. own by the late 90s, early 2000s, and I negotiated one of the first non-exclusive dealer relationships in the country, right? All of the, you know, the Verizons of the world wanted their dealers to be exclusive and that just didn't fit the business model so we had a a relationship with Meyer Superstores and we had a relationship with each one of the vendors and there was a you know my theory was you know freedom of voice freedom of choice because typically people go in and they buy a thing instead of really being able to do a comparative between the service offering which was our whole business model mm. um, so we sold the wireless stores to a much larger group and I exited with my partner and I, I said in passing to my wife you know if she ever wanted to live closer to her family now would be the time and I um, about a week and a half two weeks later she had a for sale sign in the in the yard so I guess <laughs> she knew I really meant it careful um, <laughs> careful what you suggest to your uh, partner it, it might actually come true right boy well you I, know there's an old adage Ken there's an old adage that says um, a daughter's a daughter's a, a daughter's a daughter for life, a son's a son till he takes a wife. Now you see that in a lot of families where holidays and Christmases and Thanksgivings, sons will most often follow, you know, to the wife's family, where daughters at the end of the day come home and see their mama. Occasionally their dad. Don't get me wrong, but you know I think. Well, I get I get uh, that. My wife's. Um the youngest of four, and her there mom's 90, lives um, eight minutes away, and so she hangs out with her at least two or three times a week. So I get that. In kind of, I'm not sure if her mom moved here or we moved here. This is where I've always lived. So I was, it was fortunate that it's all kind of merged together. So I it's not at it like any adage or euphemism. It's not it's not a foregone conclusion that that's going to be the case, but I think when I talk to my friends and my peers, mm -hmm. that, you know, experientially they have, you know, much the same with their family. Now the son will always come home and I'm, I've got a profound relationship with my son. So um, I think as he graduates college come May and off to the United States military, that uh, he and his significant other, you know, I don't, I don't want any foregone conclusions, but I suspect that sometime in the next three or four years, they will likely tie the knot. I still think he'll come home to see his family, but you know, if I if I look at his friends, you already see some some inclination to go follow the wife's family because the wife wife tends to be closer to her mom and dad. Um, so therein lies the adage. I get it. I get it. My sister calls my mother nearly every day, so. Uh, that being said, uh, we, we move on from that one, Rob. So with that, so, Rob, you, you uh, put the for sale sign, you move, now you're in, uh, you're in North Carolina. 
But uh, mm-hmm. when you think about this business, how did this business that you're in now that you founded get started then? Yeah, everything I did leading up, I moved to North Carolina and I went to the bank and the day I got the funding package, um, obviously I had some financial wherewithal at that point in time and then and I go to the bank and I get the funding package for the bank and I'm going to own my own thing at this point in time. And I, and I believe I was 36, maybe 37 years old. And that very day, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I nudged my wife, uh, you know, startled to, to awake, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go get a job. And she said, what are you talking about? You just got your funding package. I said, you know, honey, I've, I've, I've done it for all intents and purposes under my own banner for so long. I, I forget what it's like to have a J-O-B. So I answered I don't know, four or five ads. I think I was offered most of those positions. And I'm, I'm not saying that to sound egotistical. It just happened to be that way. Uh, and I answered the one ad that, that, that if I chuckle about today, what made me answer the ad that said, can you work with the president? So I became an analyst working for another consultancy. And everything I did, every entrepreneurial behavior, every team development behavior, every understanding of process development, every understanding of KPI and financial measurement really was born in my earlier, more formative years, prepared me for the skill sets that were required to work with small business owners, working with them on their businesses. So um, I always say I work for probably the the most nefarious small business consultancy on the planet, which is what drove me to open Cogent Analytics. I have a very, I have a very clear set of values and what I believe clients deserve as far as representation. Um, and I think that leading up to the day I opened Cogent Analytics, I, I think those were the proving grounds that not only made concrete my value systems, but also gave me the tools and skill sets and wherewithal. I think I've worked personally, and I'm not counting Cogent Analytics clients. I personally have worked with over 1,500 businesses in 48 contiguous states. Never went to Alaska, never went to Hawaii other than on vacation. Um, I have worked with small business owners literally in every one of the four corners of our country and everywhere in between. And you know, when I started Cogent Analytics, it was all about representing them the right way. Because, you know, people go to their accountants, people go to their attorneys, and very rarely are they getting operational, good, sound operational advice. You know, the the firm I used to work for, it was more about the build hour than it was about making a difference. And I think I, I you know, well I know. I know I could no longer participate in the model that didn't care about the end game and always put the client first. So when I look at the organization I've built today, that's the message throughout every single day. We talk about what that means and who we are in spirit. And, you know, if we're going to climb a mountain, how are we going to do that together? I always say I'm building a family that acts like a business from time to time. Mm-hmm. And really that's, a, that's about doing the right thing every day. You know, honor is not shades of gray. Honor is a very simple standard that if you put yourself out there and you live by it every day, you know, you don't have to worry about what's truth and what's alternative fact, mm. which is, which is a, a funny little commentary in the world we live in today. Well, it's interesting. I was uh, fortunate enough to be an invite-only participant at an event in New York with Marshall Goldsmith, and, you know, the author of the bestseller Triggers. And he said one mm-hmm. of his comments is one of the foundational pieces to his work is that if the CEOs I'm coaching aren't operating in integrity, we end the engagement. It doesn't matter what the money is. And so, Appropriately so, right? Uh, exactly. And, and the other side is if, you know, if there's certain things that I don't trust with you now, what's the likelihood I'm getting the straight goods or you're going to follow through with all the things that come in it? So for those of you listening, it might be a rare, com- a rare commodity, but it is a very, very important commodity. So I appreciate that. I always say if people are willing to lie about the little things, I can absolutely promise you that they're going to lie about the big things. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So that's that's just a you know think of how little it takes to to expend a little lie, um, and I think that goes to character. It goes to the the core value of any CEO. You know, you, your people have to trust and have full faith and confidence that you are going to represent not just the mission, vision, focus for the company, but you're going to represent them well. People will never, ever strive for something greater if they don't believe in the leadership at the top, and that starts with honor first. So um, I told you a little bit about my personal code, and you know, you may ask me this question later, but I, I wholeheartedly believe that it requires a, a moral compass in today's world to, to, if you're representing somebody else or you're or you own a trucking company or concrete or a, or construction or engineering, you know, it always is the foundation of the relationships you have in your trade relationships, as well as the relationships you have with your employees. So is there anything else you add to that moral compass that you would recommend? The uh, so, so there is, it's, it's very straightforward and simple. It's called honor, courage, wisdom, faith, perseverance, and loyalty. And those are the tenets of strength, power, and character. It is something that I learned way back in the military. It's pretty much my personal code I've lived by for uh, really the entirety of my life. So say those so again slowly so that the listeners can gravitate it. Maybe they're driving and trying to take a note, but they can, of course, play rewind, but you'll slay them just a little bit slower. So what are they again? Honor, mm-hmm. courage, wisdom, faith, perseverance, and loyalty. And those are the tenets of strength, power, and character. And each one of them, mind you, can have, I mean, if we talk a little bit about what honor means or what courage means, faith, wisdom, perseverance, each one of those have an individual definition, but I think they're far more powerful in the collective. Mm, As a package, package deal, right? you think about a high-performance car, it's all the elements working together, and that's what you're suggesting here as honor, part of honor, it, honor is acting in integrity, acting with integrity every day. It's what you do when nobody's looking that defines the definition of honor. Mm-hmm. Courage is the ability to do things that most often are unpopular, but they are honorable, right, and decent. Wisdom is the lessons you learn throughout life. It is not a definition of how smart you are, but it's your ability to consume both information and circumstance to take the learning lessons that happen throughout a lifetime and being able to deploy those for the better good. Mm. Wisdom uh, and then faith. Faith is a personal. It doesn't matter what God you pray to. It, it matters that you have that compass for yourself. It's faith in God. It's faith in others. It's faith in the greater good. Perseverance is the stick the the absolute commitment and understanding that when life is hard, you must persevere. And loyalty almost always speaks for itself. I see so many behaviors on the world that people choose relationships from convenience as opposed to a genuine loyalty to your mission, to your vision, to your people, to your clients, to any walk of life that you're in. Truly, the knowing somebody has got to know that you stand for something and that you will stand by something, and, and that really is loyalty in all its senses. So to me, that is the tenets of strength, power, and character. And I don't mean to proselytize, you know, on your podcast, but I, I think those are a really strong value system. And people don't have to assume mine, but I absolutely, when I'm talking to people, ask them what their moral compass is, what do they live by, what's their value system or code. And I think you'll find that people who have some system that they've designed for themselves, you know, again, doesn't have to be mine. It has to be yours. But if you ask yourself, what do you live by? What's the compass that you you have in your in yourself and how you approach either business or the world uh, in absent of it well suffice to say you know everything else occurs <laughs> so. right 
Well, if you have a vacuum, then stuff is stuck, sucked into it, and it may not be the stuff that you want. So, I mean, all of those character traits have been mentioned by my podcast guests at some level or another at some time, especially in the last year or two. And as an employer, I mean, one of the ones that steps out to me, this whole concept of loyalty, and um, not to paint a brush on younger uh, staff members as a father of millennials, uh, but, you know, when you think about it, loyalty really goes both ways. I, there, yes, there are some employers that really kind of suck. Uh, but on the other hand, if we're really going to invest in you as a partner, are you loyal to who you're with and who you're working with? So I get that completely. Persistence, I mean, all the work around resilience and just staying to it, and we get that. So that's awesome. What do you mean, and thank you for all that, Rob, what do you mean by this four interconnected pillars? What is what is that in your in your business work that you're working with individuals to help them to be more successful in life? What what is the four interconnected pillars that you're teaching? Yeah, we we refer to it as the cogent analytics profit platform. And I'll let me share the genealogy. It goes back near eighteen years, maybe that maybe that number is seventeen years ago. But I was working with a, it was probably a $50, $60 million group, and I was sitting in a room with you know, a president and a CEO and a number of the C-suite members as I was conducting a discovery in the company. So I was, as I refer to, peeling the onion. And you know, each one of the members sitting at the table, have, they have different wants and they have different things that are happening in their respective departments. And you know, you, you had this conversation or crosstalk going on in the room about what we were going to do in uh, what this other firm called a survey. And I stopped for a second and I, and I asked the room to give me some latitude and I, and I said it for the very first time. I said, every business has four fundamental pillars that either contribute or detract from profitability. Now, as we've matured Cogent Analytics, we've really turned that into a profit platform. So if you will, and any of your listeners can go to our website and see this Venn diagram, but it, it is a great big circle called strategic planning. And that's, that's the area in which every business operates. Although, interestingly enough, very few entrepreneurs exhibit good planning behavior. And we really start there. That's where planning whether you're going to plan to hire somebody, whether you're going to plan to buy equipment, whether you're going to plan to grow your equity, whether you're going to plan to you know, grow 20% this year, if you're going to plan, you, you get my point. So strategic planning drives many behaviors in a business. And then the rest of the pillars reside within this circle called strategic planning. And it's business development, organizational engineering, your people, process engineering or your operations, and then KPI or measurement, KPI is financial or operational, so P&L balance sheet and operational KPIs to get individual measurements, and I don't want people thinking paralysis by analysis, but you can understand the name Cogent Analytics, is about defining measurement that is happening within the business to get better performance out of people and better performance in processes. Sorry, you know, just clients, a, just a, an interruption sorry, go ahead. for a second. Is just for people listening, KPIs usually stands for key performance indicators, correct? Yes, sir, that is correct. Key okay. performance indicators. So when you think of key performance indicators, those are operational measurements really at the high levels. That's why they're called key. You may have a series of measurements under underneath your key performing indicators, but it's about communicating standard. It's about knowing that if operationally you perform to a value and I'll just give you number of man hours on a given job. If you know that the number of hours have to be X, you should be able to measure when you are going awry from that number throughout the conduction of your work. So the idea is to empower your employees to know what that measurement is, in other words, how they will be measured so that they can take ownership of it. And really what you're doing is you're taking an employee and empowering them to be better through that measurement process and then remunerating them based on operational performance. 
most often what we see is people will tell me the story, hey, I, I can't find good people. And I always ask one question, is, is it that you don't have good people or are your people not following your processes? Which then drags them into the question, well, we really don't have very well-defined process. But the way the Venn diagram is designed, Ken, is that all four pillars, from business development, which is sales and marketing that's driving revenue into your business model, that requires people. It requires process. It requires measurement. It, from If you go to the process side of the leg, if you have the greatest processes in the world, but you don't have people or you don't have measurement or you don't have revenue coming in the door, it doesn't matter how good you are on the process side, I can promise you that business will fail. You can have great measurement, but you don't have well-defined people that you're bringing into your organization, and there aren't standards for how they're going to perform, and there's not clearly defined process. You know, you will struggle with revenue, and you will struggle with producing your product. So the issue is you must have all four areas on the profit platform covered, and that's really what profit engineering is about. If you want a high-performing business, you have to engineer profit, which is revenue less profit equals what you get to spend as opposed to the way most business owners do it, which is revenue less cost equals what I get to keep. And in that environment, what you end up is fairly lethargic profitability, cash flow, you know, debt retirement, the ability to service the, the government in the form of taxation, the ability to pay for growth because growth always costs money, the ability to replace equipment. So I want you to think of it this way. If you have a good profit engineering behavior and you are able to generate a minimum mandatory profit, you cross over to the balance sheet which are the, really the health and welfare of your business, and then more importantly, being able to pre-plan for distributive compensation, which is why every listener, if you're an entrepreneur, every listener gets to their quarterly taxes and most often pay Uncle Sam, but there's nothing left on the table called, called cash flow from the profits you make because you're, you're paying everybody else. So the key to small business ownership is being able to increase value and to be able to create wealth without it being about greed. There is nothing wrong with generating a minimum mandatory profit if at the end of the day you're the guy or gal taking all the risk. There was an old saying, sorry, Rob, where it was... Sorry for the long diatribe. Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, there was an old saying about starting with top line versus bottom line. Is that sort of linked to that concept that's been out there? So most people, when you hear top line, bottom line, that is coming from the adage where you have to drive revenue. Um, we believe that you have to manage profit regardless of the revenue. So I would rather be a $5 million company at 12% profit than I would be a $10 million company at 3% profit. Mm. Right? Simple math says $10 million company at 3% profit is $300,000. A $5 million company at 12% profit is $600,000. So I could be half the size with a high-performing team and make twice the amount of money. Mm -hmm. So if, right? if you can believe it, Rob, we're already just a few minutes to the end of the show, not to cut you off there. But if we were to think about you know, life and entrepreneurship and business, because I have a mixed audience, so some people own businesses, some don't. Um, what, what are you discovering in these businesses as you dive into these over 1,500 businesses and you have this framework of these four pillars? What are you discovering in the businesses that may be a shocking or to say, you need to like stop doing this or avoid this or, I mean, obviously you have lots of wisdom or insights that's come from all these visits and being uh, intimately involved with these, these businesses. So what can you share with the listeners of some of the discoveries you've made and then maybe some encouragement to say, <laughs> can you avoid this and then move towards this? Absolutely. And the 1500 was my personal experience boots on the ground. We've, we coach in analytics. We've represented thousands. So I've even got a much deeper perspective as the senior part of the firm. So 
We have a discovery process that really focuses on the four pillars. And all of your listeners, if you were to draw each one of these boxes on a piece of paper and ask yourself, business development, that's sales and marketing, right? Am I generating well-measured sales? Do I know that my pricing is competitive? Have I built a break-even? Do I know how to do it strategically? And am I building a brand on the marketing side, right? So is you can't really, you can do whatever you'd like, you own the business, but you can do a number of efforts that leave you shy of building a true brand. On the other side is organizational engineering, which is all about building a high-performing team. That's the people you hire. That's how you hire. That's how you retain. That's how you evaluate. That's how you compensate from the benefits you offer to the incentives you pay. Mm -hmm. The next is process, and that is really looking for efficiencies in producing what you do in a very efficient manner. And if you're not focused on the process and how the workflow goes through your business, most often you're wasting man hours, you're wasting material, you're wasting opportunity in the form of profitability. And lastly is measurement. Now, when I put together the profit platform, these in all of my experiences are the four critical areas to any business, regardless of size. You can be a $200,000 startup or a $2 billion Fortune 5000. On either end of that spectrum, any CEO would tell you that the four pillars of business have always been the four pillars, amen? Mm -hmm. Right? So the critical piece for your listeners is to draw out their own business. Do a SWOT analysis. Sit down with a blank piece of paper and, on the, uh, and draw it, uh, a line down the middle vertically and a line across the page horizontally. And in the top box, write strength. The bottom left-hand side of the page, write opportunity. The top right-hand side of the page, write weakness. And on the bottom right-hand side of the page, write threats. And think about the profit platform as it relates to your strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Most of our clients focus on where they're great and what they're going to do to drive revenue. And I say to every client that we've ever represented, your responsibility as a good president is to take joy out of the left side of the page, but your responsibility is the right side of the page. What are the weaknesses and what are the threats? Think of weaknesses as internal to your organization, threats as external to your organization, and that's where you should spend time working on your business instead of in your business mm -hmm. and maximizing your opportunity. Because think about a profitable business affects all of these lives. It affects your own individual life, your family, your kids, the people you work for and their families and children, the vendors that do business with you. You know, keep in mind, Ken, we, we do from turnaround to really high-performing companies, making them stronger and better, because that has the most material impact in the communities that they serve. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you for that. So, uh, Rob, if the people want to find out more about you, uh, your website and company name again? Absolutely. Go to www.cogenanalytics.com. You can call us directly at one eight three three four my profit. So that's for the number four my profit. Um, give us a ring. You know I've done this with every podcast that I've been on. I will offer any one of your listeners. We do a discovery. You know which doesn't mean consulting. A discovery is about peeling the onion. It's about looking at your business in a holistic way because we always see things that our clients do not. You know, we're going to come in and we're going to show you 70 or 80% of things you know, but may not have taken the right action to fix. I always say the most important, the most empowering for your, you and your team is the 20 or 30% that we uncover. But the discovery process itself is two to three days, boots on the ground with one of our advisors in your business, working on it, not in it. And I will offer to any one of your listeners a $1,200 discovery to go through the adventure of just finding out what can make you stronger. To me, that discovery process is most empowering 
because it really is about uncovering the things that you might not have considered and giving you an opportunity to look forward with a game plan or a roadmap that you can that you can put your arms around. Much appreciated, uh, Robin. Thank you for sharing your story all the way from, you know, just the dynamics of the family and moving around and being able to have the persistence and plus, you know, the the core values that you shared as well. Thanks again for being a guest. Yeah, you you drew out much out of me, Ken, that I normally would not have shared in a podcast, but I hope your listeners are able to understand that I had a very eclectic use to reach the point where, you know, Cogent Analytics has been um, on, it's been on the Inc. 5000. I'm pretty sure, I can't announce it, but I'm pretty sure I can do math. We will likely do it again this year. We've gone from six employees to north of 130 in six years. And, you know, we have a story to tell, which is why I do these podcasts. You know, to me, if you go to cogentanalytics.com website, we have white papers, we have blogs, we have case studies, we have written articles in trade magazines. To me, it's about thought leadership. Being an entrepreneur is an incredibly difficult endeavor. If you don't want to reach out and do a discovery, at least we put out the information for you to self-educate and be able to garner some information that might help you just a little bit as you think about putting your feet on on the floor in the morning and how you make your business better. It really is the lifeblood of America is how entrepreneurs and small business owners really feed our economy. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can go to the website and definitely garner a mountain of information that will, well, hopefully make you stronger tomorrow. Okay. Well, thanks, Rob. Much appreciated. Uh, stay on the line, nope. Rob. And so, listeners, you know, when we think about not everybody owns a business, but a lot of the things apply to you when you think about processes, systems for your life. You can do a SWOT analysis of your own uh, career direction if you want to do that. So my encouragement is is that if you are a business owner, is that you look at some of these things, go to Rob's site, find out more about it. Now, as we always do at the end of the show, we thank you for being and sharing your most valued commodity, and that is your time. So thank you for that. If you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, leave a positive uh, comment or review on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring The Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.